It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, during the week, I was looking for things that were um, topical for us to talk about. And one of the things I came across was eight potential money pitfalls for retirees. And it began by saying that for many Americans, retiring means entering a new realm of financial realities from learning to live on a pension or social security checks to downsizing to a smaller home and unfortunately while retirement can be a great time to enjoy the later years of life there are several pitfalls to watch out for watch out for to guarantee your money lasts yeah the uh the pitfalls for retirees need to be very very uh boldly imprinted on the retirees mentality and the first one is with regard to credit cards retirees who do decide to carry any credit cards in my opinion deborah they should have them paid off every month don't build up credit card expenses after you retire so that's the first thing i think should be are those the type of people that would pay reoccurring monthly expenses with a credit card and then at the end of the month pay that that credit card bill off. Yes, Deborah. And the reason I like that so much is that allows, you know, a lot of people get confused about money management versus financial planning. Financial planning should start with the living expense needs of the client and work backwards from there. We want to look at your living expense needs and design the proper investment, uh, uh, the funds that are most consistently able to meet, to give the income to meet the needs. To meet the, to meet those the living expense, expense needs. needs. But with the credit card that paid off every month, you can analyze what your expense is, and that really makes the planning process a lot easier. Yes, it's tracking what are you spending your money, money on. on. Just to look back, just to, to see. Not exactly. to keep a budget, but to really be able to say, oh, the last 12 months I spent X dollars on X Gifts things. or groceries, utilities, groceries, whatever it is. Yes, now, one of the big problems that retirees are faced with is the matter of long-term nursing care insurance. And personally, uh, I am very concerned about what's called LTC insurance. It can be a great option for some people, but for other people, it is not at all a great option because it's extremely expensive. In my opinion, most of the time, you're buying a product doesn't give you the benefits you want. What you want is to be covered the first day you go in. That means no waiting period. Right. But not many companies offer that anymore. Sadly. 
Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Secondly, you want a God forbid scenario that the policy will cover you if you're there for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. Lifetime coverage, yes. Most of them don't do that anymore, and the ones that do are very expensive. So I think that's something to beware of. Don't bite the bullet real fast and say, I'm going to buy some long-term nursing care insurance. It may be too expensive for your budget. And just to buy a cheaper policy, you are buying a watchdog with no teeth. Right. Another issue has to do with reverse mortgages. Now, the reverse mortgages are very interesting, Linda. They are very interesting for retirees. They can be a great product for many retirees who need a lump sum or who need a monthly income. Now, personally, I like the monthly income provisions better because that lets you turn your home into a monthly pension for you and you never have to pay it back. The rest of your life, you don't have to pay it back. Uh, It needs to be approached in a financial planning context. But I do think that it's very often it's perfect for retirees. So the loans are 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 paid when you die, right? Yeah, you yeah the bank turns around well, and starts giving sold. you a monthly check from the value of your home, and you never have to pay it off as long as you're living in that home or are alive. And when you finally move, then at that time, then the home is sold, and the excess the debt. Yeah. yeah. But it makes it very nice. The reverse mortgage program was set up. uh, I like it a lot in many cases. Another thing to watch out for, uh, however, and this is a real issue, this matter of annuities, uh, they often sound very good. They're being uh, sold to a lot of retirees. But golly day, they are chock full of hidden fees and In my opinion, retirees are much better served by getting fee-only investment advice through a fee-only investment advisor rather than buying a an annuity. And of course, I don't know if you remember, but there was the article in uh, that we saw this past week of this annuity salesman, this insurance salesman, who is in the journal. Oh, Wall Street Journal. The guy's going to prison, right? Going to jail. Right. Uh, oh, it's striking. And because I think the biggest thing was that he was the first one who has had a punishable offense. Yeah. And I really liked in that particular article, because we've been warning people about this, but the, the insurance commissioner from the state of California said agents who steal from venerable seniors will not get away with their shameful right. tricks any longer. And uh, the guy who was convicted of a felony theft conviction for selling an annuity to an 83-year-old woman. So be careful. Be very careful of annuities. They're targeted at retirees. If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Life insurance. Yeah, life insurance. I was waiting for you to ask me about life insurance. Life insurance is another thing to be very careful of. First of all, uh, what kind of insurance? Term or whole life? Well, be aware that whole life is the most expensive Of course, it sold the most because it pays the highest commission to the agent. Uh, There were several articles we saw this past week on how much were the commissions. I think the Wall Street Journal it was that actually had one that was quoting that uh, commissions on life insurance are sometimes 50% of the first year's premiums. So whole life insurance is promoted. 
term life insurance may be the much better option if you need it for a period of time only. Uh, but if at all possible, get term insurance. Maybe you get early retirement at age, let's say age 55 or age 60, and you can get insurance to cover you until Social Security begins, something like that. You know, Doug, um, certainly these products are out there, and I think uh, for all of our listeners, uh, if you're addressing this aspect of your financial planning world, if you're buying insurance or you're buying an annuity, get educated and ask questions about the fees. Good. Very good, Linda. Everything should be disclosed up front for your own protection, Right. That's so right. Ask those questions. And I think a lot of those um, things that can go wrong are phone scams. Those tend to prey on the elderly or just the other person on the end of the line. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say anything you want and, and not be a, a responsible for it. So um, also shady salespeople. I think this is the the last of of an era of where you actually have to pick up the phone and actually listen to somebody. <laughs> but shady salespeople are going to be face-to-face or on the phone. And if you you can just really avoid a world of hurt just by asking, how are you paid? And if you're not given a clear explanation, it's usually just a big red flag. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000. Wow. Well, in the world of estate planning, there is a, a article that caught my eye, and I, I know I uh, had both of you read it, and it was entitled, Planning is a Four-Letter Word on the Farm. Yeah. Most farmers, Deborah, don't shut down their tractors at age 65 and hand over the keys to the chicken coop, move on to improve their golf game. Uh, Instead, what you see is they can be found on their farms well into their 70s or 80s, tending the land that they love. And I think a lot of people just plan that the problem is, is that many fail to plan for the day that they will no longer be able to work their farms. Yeah, there's two million family farmers in the U.S. right now, and they have basically unique estate planning issues, which if they ignore it, these can result in the farm being split up among different owners or having to be sold outright to pay off estate taxes or creditors. So unfortunately, family farmers who need financial planning are notoriously bad planners. And I think many times the older generation tells their kids, oh, one day this will all be yours, but they don't ever put anything in writing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Isn't that And sad? then there's never really anything, no real plan on what to do. That's right. That's right. You know, although many of the challenges which farmers face in estate planning are the same ones encountered by the owners of other types of small businesses, they can really be... Uh, exacerbated by the strong emotional ties that lifelong farmers have to the land. Yeah, and I think we we are especially um, susceptible to that sort of a feeling and sentiment in this part of the world, in this part of the country, and in our state. I mean, I'm thinking of two families who we know you know specifically that we've helped with um, with farms. And yeah. uh, I think it's like passing on a family business is, you know, just like in other areas of, of, of enterprise. But it goes further than that because the owner has, you know, put in, been putting in their blood, sweat and tears for years. Yeah. Farming in North Carolina is uh, not a small matter, but the lack of planning by farmers 
is a huge issue. Uh, and it's sometimes uh, a challenge uh, to get farmers as they get older to give up the reins. And so y- y- you need to approach it. The financial planner needs to approach it with a team, which includes the advisor, then maybe an estate attorney or an estate planning attorney, an accountant, uh, maybe an insurance expert. And then we need to have a meeting where we try and, and help the family understand what options are available to them. Are the children really interested in taking right the farm in some cases right. the parents may think they are but right. they are not right and i and i'm and i don't know if this is a generalization but i think most aren't but um but farmers definitely need to think about you know selling the farm or passing the farm on farm on to if some to an heir if they, if they are interested or a child if they are interested but sort of look at it like it's a retirement plan right you know really needing to have a plan on how do i how do i how do i uh you know, pay for this retirement, these retirement years. This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation. Call me at 919-872-7000. You know, after taking this first step of a family meeting to identify whether there really is someone, a child who wants to take over running the farm and is willing and able to invest in the venture, then if there is, then the advising team, mainly the financial planner, this is, of course, what we have done for so many years, crafts a plan, designs a plan that allows for the person to inherit the farm while still providing an inheritance for the rest of the family. And every family is different. Maybe one of the children wants it. Well, that's going to be, and maybe it's 60% of the entire estate. Well, you have to accommodate both pieces of it. How do you make the other children get their estate? And how do you pass on this one? Uh, If the farmer gives one son the farm, then maybe a life insurance benefit could be left for the siblings to offset the value of what would have been their share of the farm. I think farmers also need to consider how to structure their farm business to make the transition to the next generation easy. Transition is the crucial issue, Deborah. It really is. And uh, unfortunately... It's, it's really lacking. Farmers uh, very often feel, well, we'll just uh, keep working until mm-hmm. we can't work and everything will work out fine. Yeah, I'm thinking of two of the estate planning attorneys or a few of the estate planning attorneys that we work with that will actually, um, in helping go through this process with us and our clients, help with things like does the property need to be redeeded? Is it made up of several pieces? You know, all of the issues that need to come into, you know, how do we handle this? Also, as far as income, retirement income, many farmers haven't planned for that properly either. They typically try to reduce their income, pay their tax bills by buying equipment, depreciating that over the years, but very few of them see the need for some sort of a pension type of retirement plan. And boy, uh, I remember one I saw years ago, they came to me and they had a whole bunch of Farm property was about a $10 million estate, as I recall, and I could not get them financially independent. None of the numbers would work just because of the dynamics of the family. So the bottom line is planning doesn't need to be a four-letter word for farmers. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 
or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. Let's take another caller, Doug. Well, Charles, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, and how can I help you this Hi, evening? Hi, Mr. Lewis. Uh, how are you? I'm well, thank you, sir. Uh, give me a little uh, advice here. Uh, All right. If you can, please, sir. My, my wife and I are thinking about buying a home. Okay. We're uh, 38. I'm 38. She's 37. All no right. children, no debts. No children? No children. No children, no debts. Uh, and adjusted gross income probably of around $100,000. All right. Both of y'all working? Uh, yes, sir. Oh, financial planning for dinks. <laughs> dinks is dual income, no kids. That's us. Okay. Uh, All right. And the, you've got an adjusted gross income of how much? Uh, about uh, 100000 100, About 100000 the two of you. Uh, 401k plans, stocks, mutual funds, and so forth, uh, insurances, disability, everything. How much do you have in the stocks? Oh. Uh, Approximately. Stocks and funds, probably 30000 uh, Well, I wanted to separate the stocks from the funds, if you oh, have. Uh, how much do you have in mutual funds? Do you know? Well, probably about, yeah, probably about 15000 in each. All right. 15000 stocks, 15000 in mutual funds. What else did you say you had? Uh, and probably about uh, 30000 in money market, uh, in a money market account. 30000 in CDs. money market. And CDs. Anything else? Well, we've got, uh, you know, our retirement plans, uh, money purchase plans, uh, uh, insurances and things like that uh, that are that are doing real well. I'm not sure exactly the, the figures that, that all of those accounts might be worth. What are your living expenses running, Charles? Uh, well, they're, they're minimal. Frankly, we, we, we rent a home. Uh, we pay $600 a month rent. And, uh, Wait a minute. Something doesn't make sense to me. If you're earning $100,000 and all you've accumulated is $30,000 in money market and 30000 in stocks and securities, you've got, you, you must be high spenders, not low spenders. No, well. Uh, I mean, where's the money going? <laughs> we, we have not been earning that more than about uh, two to three years. All right. Uh, because I just uh, finished uh, uh, college. Oh, okay. Uh, my, I finished my doctoral program and okay. just have really begun my profession at I about, see. you know, 30, age 33, 34. Okay. All right. So that, uh, I'm a late bloomer, if you will. All right. Well, that, exp- that explains something. Okay. okay. So your living expenses are running about how much? Well, uh, $600 for rent and then uh, whatever uh, utilities and so forth are uh, I, probably $1,500 a month or something like that. All right. Maybe a little more. Yeah, I was uh, going to say uh, that that would be a very attractive number because that would leave you a, a large amount monthly well, we, to put into a, into an investment plan. And in fact, we do. We we end up probably putting three thousand uh, a month into uh, into various uh, into the money market or either buying more uh, shares of a mutual fund and so Good. forth. Okay. And we had thought perhaps that we might need to buy a relatively expensive home simply to lower our tax liability. Boo. Okay. It's not a tax shelter. A home is a shelter, not a tax shelter. It's a place where you live in and you can, and, and, and you need to work with a certified financial planner to address the tax reduction need that you're talking about, but don't confuse it with the other need. You should buy the cheapest house that you think you'll be comfortable living in. Well, you're, you're, that's, that's a point well taken. You, you don't build wealth uh, owning a half-million-dollar home and, and driving two, uh, two Lexuses or Mercedes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You want to go ahead and look at your new status in life from a 
future goal, identify the financial independence year. Right, right. You want to come backwards to that? All right. Uh, All of those numbers, those are numbers that you need to work with a certified financial planner to tell you how much should be set aside monthly to reach that goal. We're, We're trying to do just that. And keep the house from hindering your progress. And <laughs> okay. Good advice. And Charles, if I can send you any information, if you'd like, you can call me at the office. Okay. Our number is 872 Thank you, ma'am. Okay, and thanks for thanks calling. Thanks for your time. Thanks, right. Charles. Well, then, what's new in the area of estate planning? Well, you know, Doug, there's, there's definitely some vital information. If your parents haven't saved enough or planned for the possibility of spending time in a nursing home, the cost of that and other expenses could fall to you, the children. Unfortunately, many are ill-prepared to take care of their parents, Lynn, when the parents can no longer handle their own affairs. They're struggling to save enough for their own retirement and for their children's college education, and looking at how to deal with their parents is, uh, is, is quite frightening. Yes, it certainly is. We're going to go over a, a little checklist that will help you organize your financial records and the information that you'll need if the time comes when your parents can no longer make decisions for themselves. The real thing are the essential documents, Lynn. We should have, for our parents, we should have certain documents and make sure we don't wait. Number one, there's got to be a will. A will that names a trustee or an executor, uh, how the estate's supposed to be distributed, a trustee who's going to manage the assets, the executor who's going to make sure all provisions of the will are followed and pay the estate taxes and the expenses. And in many cases, this trustee and the executor can be the same person, have to have a will. Secondly, have a durable power of attorney. This document gives one person the power to legally conduct the affairs of another. And if one or both of your parents are incapacitated, this gives the designated person access to their assets so that the bills can be paid and you know, all of their other affairs can be taken care of. So make sure you have a durable power of attorney. Right, Lynn. Third one is the durable power of attorney for health care. This is very crucial. It gives a designated person the authority to make medical decisions in the event that the patient is incapacitated. Now, this is not a living will, right? Right, because number four is a living will. Or this is also called a directive to the physicians. This states that medical situations in which a patient would not want to be kept alive uh, that their desire could be uh, implemented. And it isn't legally binding, but it can relieve a family of the emotional burden of making this decision. And if you need a form, they're usually available at your doctor's office or at a retirement or nursing home, and that is the living will. Right. A lot of people confuse the living will, which is basically the desire to die a natural death, with the health care power of attorney, which is very different, and you should have both. Then there should be a letter of instruction This is a letter for the beneficiaries of the will and the trust, and it's designed to make it easier for the family to close out the affairs. You know, it should include the names of those to notify upon death, funeral arrangements, last wishes, and the disposal of assets. And although it's not a legal document, it should be in agreement with the will and kept with the rest of the documents or with the estate plan. This is Deborah Lewis. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. And the last is your inventory of finances. This would be a list of all your financial and legal documents where they can be found. And what you should do is keep one copy in a safe deposit box or maybe another copy with your financial advisor, your executor, your heir, or your spouse. 
And as far as that checklist on the inventory of finances, you know, make sure you've got, you know, the person, your, your parents' name, their social security number, who, uh, you know, some important names and phone numbers should, that should be kept handy might be a clergyman, uh, the attorney that they're using, who their CPA or their accountant might be, who, uh, works with their investments, their financial planner, their insurance agent, and who are the relatives and close friends that they that would need to be contacted. Lynn, I guess lastly, there are other money considerations in estate planning for parents. You should scrutinize the insurance policies for over or under coverage, check auto, life, disability, and so on. You want to pay particular attention to health insurance. And I guess lastly, consult an estate expert a certified financial planner who works in the area of estate planning and make sure it's done right. The comfort that the family is taking care of everything ahead of time is such a comfort. Then you can go ahead and enjoy the rest of your parents' lives knowing that it's all been done properly. Parents appreciate it and the families appreciate it. It's definitely important for people who do have parents that maybe have sizable assets or assets in general uh, that they assist them with their financial planning right. in working with an advisor. That's right. Seek competent financial advice. And if you have any financial questions, call me at 872-7000. That's 872-7000. Kevin, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you this evening? Hi, thanks for taking my call. I, um, I'm kind of in a, I, I won't say a unique position, but I do have a few questions. I'm uh, in the middle of my career. I work in healthcare. Um, and, uh, I recently completed my master's degree and, um, we have a pretty limited, uh, retirement savings at this point. Um, and, uh, I had to actually borrow from my 401k to pursue my graduate degree. Uh, and my wife's, uh, um, 401k is, uh, untouched at this point and we do have some savings, but I'm wondering really what the best options would be. Um, to consider with regard to um, retirement. And if I could add to that, I also have, um, we have one girl that's uh, through college at Chapel Hill, but um, we've got a couple more to go. Um, so Kevin, let me, let me get a couple of facts so I can see uh, what you look like. How old are you? 47. You're 47. And your wife? She's uh, 39. All right. So y'all are relatively young still. And I... You say that you're both working. You both have four hundred one ks. What's what's your income? Uh, my income is about one forty. One forty, and your wife's income? Uh, currently, it's about ninety, but that's probably going to drop down to about uh, sixty. She's going to start working a little less. All right. So it looks like you're going to have about a two hundred thousand dollar family income. Now, what have you accumulated uh, in your investment portfolios thus far? In dollars, oh, approximately. About, well, I'd say probably about one hundred and twenty-five thousand. And the one hundred and twenty-five thousand, what is that in retirement funds or non-retirement? It's in retirement funds solely. We don't have any like stock portfolio or anything like that. So you've accumulated nothing so far in what we call personal or non-qualified investments. Well, I'm not sure. So we're about halfway through a thirty-year mortgage on a home. It's probably market values. Okay. Yeah, you must have tuned in recently because the first part of our show, we spent a lot of time talking about how a home is never an investment. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, thank you for for making that point for us that a lot of people do think that their home is an investment. Yeah. Yeah. Your home is not an investment. Uh, it is a use asset. It's an asset 
that you purchased for the use of it. You need a roof over your head. Uh, so assets are either investment assets or use assets. Homes are not investment assets. I see. Okay. okay. So you have no uh, non-investment, non-retirement assets so far. Well, I guess so. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Now you said you even borrowed against your 401k. That's sort of yeah. like one of the things you never, ever do. Why did you borrow against your 401k? Well, I did that because we were in a situation where we thought we weren't going to be able to use any of our savings at all because there was a potential situation with a family member who was having some health problems. And so um, I decided to hedge my bet and do that, um, but I didn't really take very much from my 401k at all. Yeah. Okay. So you you apparently, I, it sounds to me like y'all might be, and all clients fall into certain categories. It sounds like you're probably the type of clients that spend everything you make and there's not too much leftover surplus at the end of the month. Um, yeah. I mean, we have a small savings, but I would say we probably do fit into that category. Okay. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Call me at 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. And uh, the beginning of a, a solution is the recognition that there's a problem. Sure. Okay. So I would say, first of all, we need you need to get some help. You need professional help. If you'd like to call my office, you can speak to my daughter, Deborah, or you can speak to one of my uh, staff members and schedule a meeting to meet with me. But I can give you a couple pointers over the air. Uh, the first thing is you need to look at your expenses as categorized. Now, when I say categorized expenses, there are three basic categories of expenses. Number one is the recurring expense, the recurring monthly expenses. And these may not be fixed, but they are recurring, like to how many times you take your wife out to dinner in a month. And in addition to the fixed ones like mortgage and costs and so forth, but your RMEs, we call them RME, recurring monthly expenses, that's a crucial number. The second thing we need to find out is what's your recurring income? And that's pretty easy. We can go ahead and find out what's your recurring gross income. Now, are you contributing to your 401ks? Yes, I am. How much are you contributing? Uh, I end up contributing about $500 a month at this point, and uh, my employer is matching. All right, so you're not contributing more than what they're matching? I am not at this point. No, good. no that's good. You should not. You should never contribute more than the match. Uh, So once we get your RMEs and your recurring monthly income, we need to hone in on how to build an investment plan. We call it a pay yourself first investment plan. But if you look at your expenses, because you're making 200,000, actually you're making 230,000 right now, your wife's going to drop. So I'm sure a lot of our listeners would say, what? $230,000, $230,000, a quarter million dollars a year, and, they, and they, they, they're they spending everything they make, and they're borrowing from their retirement. What's wrong with these people? I agree. Okay, I'm not saying that, but I'm sure that there are people out there, and the solution is there. Uh, you just need some professional help in looking at what we call cash flow planning first. Okay. And then from cash flow planning, we build an automatic investment plan, and we see how long it will take before you can be financially independent. It is not at all impossible if you call my office during the week, you can go on our website, go to DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. And you can see how we approach it. You can see a video and some calls and you can see some uh, a number of things. But call my office, speak to Deborah, and she'll schedule an appointment to meet with me. Our number is 919-872-7000. Great. 
Thank you so much. You're welcome, Kevin. Looking forward to meeting with y'all. Thanks very much. All right. Let's take a call. Margaret, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I was asking the question. We um, are interested in finding out if uh, you can be the manager of your trust and then um, direct the proceeds of it um, to, to go to uh, your children uh, who uh, uh, might need uh, assistance. Tell me a little bit about your situation, Margaret. How old are you? Well, I'm. Uh, we're at a perfect age. <laughs> we're both retired. Okay. Yay! You're, are, <laughs> are, are you? You're in your sixties. Uh, well, beyond that. You're in your seventies. Yes. Okay, you're in your seventies, and that's important to understand the age because of the six sixty four trust. Uh, all right. The second thing I need to know is, uh, what are your income sources right now? The total dollars that you have on regular income. About one hundred ninety one thousand. All right, and does that last year? Yes. Now, does that meet all of your living expense needs? Yes. Okay. So your expenses are less than one hundred ninety one thousand. Yes. Okay. Very good. Now let's take a look at what might be suitable for the six sixty four trust. First of all, what? How much do you have in regular in non retirement investments? That would be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, all CDs, etc. Uh, CDs, well, all everything that's not in a retirement account. Well, everything's retirement. Okay, so you have no investments that are not in retirement plans. Well, we do have stocks and bonds. Right. About how much is that? Uh, two and a half million. All right, about two and a half million, and that's that's in non-retirement. That's not in IRAs or 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 four hundred one k's. That's not in an IRA account. It's not right? in an IRA. It's okay. a 403B. It is in a 403B? Yes. Okay. All right. It's for important to understand nothing in a 403B can go into a charitable trust. Oh, you can't put it in a charitable trust. And, and that's and 664. That's right. The 664 okay. trust, you can only put things into it that are not part of a 403B, a 401K, an IRA, a pension, a profit sharing, and so forth. Now, let me ask you, do you have any investments that are not in your 403B? Oh, yes. How much do you have there? Somewhere around a million and a half. All right. Now, that million and a half, if that is investment money that has a tax for capital gain on it, yes, that can go into a 664 trust, and it can go ahead and be sold inside the trust and avoid all capital gains taxes, pay no taxes, and then you are the manager of that trust. Yes, you are. It's called the trustee, and you pay yourself and your husband a lifetime income. Yes, you do, just as if it's a pension, and your question then is, if I'm paying myself and I pay no taxes on any of the sales of any of the things in this trust, can I direct some of it to my children? Yeah. And the answer to that question is yes, but no longer than 20 years after your life. We have uh, uh, children who have to uh, be, unfortunately, uh, have a conservator. Then you have a disability trust problem. Yes, indeed. That's also, you have disabled children. Yes, we well, do. This, this, this can be tied to that need very well. There are ways we can do that. And the way you do that, you have a disability trust because your children probably are qualifying to get disability income, correct? Oh, yeah. You yes. want to make sure that no money ends up directly in their hands. 
Oh, that couldn't be. Uh, that's right. That's, that's right. It's got to be funneled into the disability trust. Mm -hmm. So you could tie together the charitable 664 trust and insurance proceeds, and you can move everything through your channels to end up after you both, you and your husband both pass away into the disability trust. Yes, it can be worked out. If you'd like more information on how to do this, if you call my office, my office number is... 872 right. 7000. All right. That's USA 7000. USA 7000. Yes, that, ma'am. That's, that's in Raleigh. That's in Raleigh. So the area code's 919. Oh, Raleigh. Uh -huh. that, yes. right. Yeah, write down your questions, Margaret, and if you'll call the office. You know, we can take down some information, and we can also send you some information. All right. Especially because you, you've got a special situation with the children. Yes, we do. And you'd want to make sure that everything's in order to oh, be okay. All right. now let an me advantage ask, to them. Let me ask you a question. How yes, much do you charge per hour? Well, I don't like to announce hourly rates <laughs> on the air because it's not proper. But we, but but, but if, when if, I call you, you will tell me. Uh, yes, yeah, of course. The problem people get into is they try to get free advice from a salesperson instead of looking for advisors. But uh -huh. the investment advisor is one who, by law, must put your interests first and tell you what according to his knowledge and wisdom, is able to work best for you. But you have a sophisticated situation or a complicated situation that needs sophisticated advice. And I think you deserve to see a registered investment advisor, whether it be us or someone else. It doesn't matter to me, but it can be done. You can achieve your objectives if you do it right. And the 664 trust might play into the disability trust scenario. All right. Yes, well, we're definitely, uh, we have to make arrangements. Yes, ma'am. Just give us a call. And we enjoyed your, your, your call this afternoon. Well, thank you very much. I certainly appreciate your help. Okay. And, uh, yes, you'll be hearing from us. All right. Very good. Thank Take you. care, Margaret. And you too. Have a wonderful week. Thank you very much. Take Bye -bye. care now. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. You know, it's, it's interesting that uh, more and more people are seeing the need for financial planning. Wouldn't you say, Doug, in the last decade... More and more people are more aware of the need to do financial planning. I am seeing that, and I'm seeing more women. I'm seeing more women being aware that financial planning is not just for the ultra-wealthy. Uh, they're looking at Social Security. Uh, many women are single and considering Social Security. They want to know uh, what's the right way to approach it. Um, should they go ahead and, and take that early retirement check at 60, age 62 if they can. And these are the kinds of decisions that the uh, this element of society is finally approaching the financial planning community. And I think you're going to find a lot more of that, whether it's you know, a pro or a con, there's just a lot more of the 40, 50, and 60-year-olds who are either retiring single by divorce or the spouse died or single by choice. That's right. And as we become a larger population, there's just going to be a lot more of those folks who are going to be asking the same questions. When's the right time to take Social Security? Does it matter when I take it? And women are successful. 
and have become much more successful. More and more because uh, they're running businesses or they own businesses. And especially if you're running the business, you're so busy running it that sometimes you procrastinate about um, taking care of your own affairs. But just women being in the workforce since 1940s, we all have retirement plans and things to consider now. So it is very important if you're a woman and you're listening to the show, write down your questions. You may have questions about your retirement plan, whether or not you should be contributing to the match or to the max. And what about estate planning? Don't procrastinate. And isn't there a lot of discussion these days about the difference between the the two ways you can use the words fee-based? There's fee-based financial planning and then and fee and commission. Well, well, help us with that distinction. Yeah, the advisors are being alerted to the fact and, and, and in light of what you just said about women, specifically I'm reading that women are wanting answers from advisors and advisors are not giving their female clients the most pressing question that they want an answer from and that is what's the difference between fee-based and commission-based. If you hear something tonight that sounds like your situation, call us, set up an appointment, we can help you. 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. So that distinction is what the financial advisory firms are being pressed to give to their clients the difference between fee-based and commission-based. Okay, so let's get that clear because there's another question even more important. Commission-based is very simple. You're going to go ahead and see somebody. They're going to sell you a product, a mutual fund, a stock portfolio, whatever it is. They're going to be paid by the commissions that you make on it. That's commission-based. Fee-based is where they quote you a fee and charge you a fee, usually a percent of how much money that you're going to give them to uh, to work with. And they're sometimes called fee-only planners, fee-based planners, but it's on the fee. Now, the bigger question is, are you getting fee-based money management or fee-based financial planning? And that's the real question that you should be asking. The difference between fee-based money management and fee-based financial planning is that fee-based money management is where you sign a limited power of attorney. You give your advisor maybe a half million dollars. Some of them are as low as 250000 Some are as high as a million. You turn that over to them. You sign a power of attorney and they buy and sell on your behalf. That is called fee-based money management some call it fee only, but it's money management. And it's now, usually it's a discretionary account, right? That's exactly right. It's a, you, you sign over discretion by a power of attorney, and that person has discretion to buy and sell on your behalf. There's something else, however, called fee-based financial planning. This is what we practice in our firm. Fee-based financial planning is where you quote a fee and you give them advice on tax planning. Also, investment planning, of course, and estate planning, advice on their mortgage, advice on their investment portfolio, yes, but advice also on their wills and their trusts. And what you are paying for, the fee is for financial planning. So that's the distinction that should be made 
Are you getting fee-based money management or are you getting fee-based financial planning? Once you're clear on that, then you can proceed and decide what kind of person you want. And if you've got questions about your situation and you need some advice and you would like to meet with a fee-based financial planner, call us at Lewis Financial Management. That's in Raleigh. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. And we'll be happy to either send you some information regarding our services and speak with you and how we might be able to assist you in your situation to address your financial planning concerns. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF. Richard has a question about rolling over a payment into an IRA. He's 39, and he's getting a lump sum distribution from his 401k plan. And what he's wondering is, what's his best investment? What's the best vehicle that he, he could use at his age? That's all he told you? Just what's the best investment? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if he says that, well, let's say, if he didn't need the money now, then he should roll his distribution is 401k distribution into an individual retirement account. That's an IRA, of course. And by rolling it over, that's what that's a tax-free transaction. If he doesn't roll it over, he'll have to pay a 10% tax penalty as well as income tax on the distribution. In other words, let's say he's talking about $60,000 that's accumulated in his 401k. All right. He's never paid tax on that money because that was a salary reduction that he took along the way. So if he takes that without rolling it over into an IRA and just takes the money, he'll pay taxes on $60,000, which is about $20,000 of taxes he'll pay, plus he'll pay a 10% penalty because he's under 59. So that's $6,000 more he's going to pay, maybe twenty-six dollars or $27,000. But if he doesn't need it, then he should roll it over to an IRA. Now, because he has about 20 years before he retires, you said he's only 30 years old or 39? 30, 39. He's 39 years old. All right, so he's got over 20 years. He's got a little bit over 20 years before retirement. He shouldn't invest too heavily in bonds, in my opinion, or other income-oriented investments. He's got that much time. I would have him go ahead and put it in stock mutual funds, and if he happens to be leery of the stock market, maybe he should choose a conservative fund, such as a balanced fund or an equity income fund, which has a mixture of stocks and bonds in it. Well, Doug, could you distinguish the difference between what a stock mutual fund and what a bond fund is? A bond mutual yeah. fund. Yeah, well, that's, that's pretty easy. A stock fund is a giant pool of stocks. Let's say it's a, it's a $1 billion pool that has maybe 100 stocks in it, and you put in uh, $500 or $5,000 or $50,000 or as much or as little as you want, and you have a pro rata piece of all 100 or 200 or 500 stocks that are in that billion-dollar mutual fund. So you've got a pro rata share of all those stocks, and the average price of, of, of all the stocks is computed at the end of each day's closing, and that's called the net asset value, and you have your share of all of them, of the average of all of them. And a mutual fund of bonds could be a billion-dollar fund, and it's also got a whole bunch of pieces of paper in it, just like the other one had a whole bunch of pieces of paper. The only difference is the first pool, its pieces of paper were stocks. Right. Second pool, its pieces of paper are bonds, and bonds are guaranteed income-producing investments. Those are loans. They're IOUs. So there may be 
uh, let's say, a hundred bonds in a bond mutual fund, where each bond maybe there's an uh, each bond is an IOU, Linda. So let's say uh, you've got a a bond from IBM. Well, it's an IOU from IBM, and mm-hmm. IBM will go ahead and pay interest back to the mutual fund, which owns that bond, just like all the other hundred bonds in there. And then the the manager of that fund, he'll go ahead and decide which bond he doesn't like, and he'll sell it out and buy in another one. But all the time, he's got a whole bunch of these IOUs in the fund, and they're all bringing in interest. And you, again, you put in anywhere from $500, 1000 10000 20000 or whatever, and you have a pro rata piece of all of those IOUs. Just like in the stock funds, you had a pro rata piece of all of the stocks. That sounds good. Thanks for explaining that. You got that? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like any other information, call me at the office, and that's here in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Well, Lynn, let's take Dave's call. Dave, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yes, I had a question about inheritance. All right. If I'm receiving an inheritance, uh, enough to pay off a mortgage, uh, and that's the only debt I have left, would it be wise to use that inheritance to pay off the mortgage and then use the mortgage payments I was uh, planning on paying for use those for uh, children's education, or is it better to continue to keep the mortgage and use the inheritance? All right, let's find out some facts. How old are you, Dave? 35. 35, married or single? Married. Married. And are you employed right now? Yes, I am. All right. What's your What's your income? My income is about eighty thousand. Eighty thousand. And your wife is she employed? No, she's not. All right. So family income is at eighty. Now, living expenses right now, including the mortgage. How much are your living expenses run? Let's say on a yearly basis, including um, and include everything you think of. You know, like your travel, your gifts, your lifestyle for the year. Right. I would say probably have maybe forty thousand dollars know, a year in expenses, including the mortgage. Now let's go to your assets before the inheritance. What do you, what do your investments look like? Probably maybe ten thousand dollars total in mutual funds. All right, so you've so you've accumulated ten thousand dollars. That's your total investment portfolio. Correct at this time. All right. Well, yeah, your expenses must be much much higher than you think they are because we've we're we're missing twenty five thousand a year or thirty five thousand a year. That's that's going somewhere. You see what I'm saying? Right. And I think that's important answering his question about the retire about the, okay. the mortgage. Right. Now. All right, now you received an inheritance. How much is your inheritance? Probably around 130. All right, so you received $130,000. Right. And how much is the value of your home? The value of the home is about 200. The value of the home is 200 and the mortgage uh, the outstanding? Uh, it's about 110. 110. And you want to notice it makes sense to go ahead and pay off the mortgage. Pay off the mortgage. And have 20,000 left and use that and put it in some mutual funds and then a thousand dollars a month I'm paying for house payment, put some type of investment plan yeah. together. Well, I think really, if you think about it, you've already answered your own question, Dave. You have shown a very poor history of investing when you've had cash on a regular basis because you've just told me that your excess is thirty five thousand a year. You should be able right now, under the information you just gave me, real quick, to be investing about three thousand a month. And if it hasn't been happening, I don't have a lot of comfort that it will be happening if you ex- if you end up with an extra thousand a month, which should be four thousand. Right. My advice to you would be to capture the hundred and thirty thousand and get that invested. Okay. That hundred and thirty thousand, even under uh, you know a normal or even maybe a worst case scenario, should be able to produce for you about ninety one hundred a year, about seven hundred and fifty dollars a month income, which you don't need to pay the mortgage. 
Right. The other thing is, by paying off the mortgage, your taxes are going to go up. Correct. So then you, you'd be in a worse condition. I think what you need to do is step number one, see a certified financial planner. Okay. Step number two, design an asset allocation with the pl- financial planner for a an investment portfolio that invests the 130000 into unit sizes that uh, I would say maybe oh, $15,000 unit size to get about eight investments there. Okay. Work with a living expense sheet with your planner that will go ahead and go over the expenses and get your lifestyle on paper the way you and your wife are comfortable. And then whatever that excess is, if it turns out to be not 3000 a month, let's say it turns out to be 2000 a month. All right. We need to get that money invested at the beginning of every month in what we call a pay yourself first plan okay. and then be living on the excess and build into the arrangement what I do in my practice when I have clients like that that have commissions, we build into the timing for the lumps that are expected to be coming versus the bare base salary that's coming through the year. Correct. And I think that we needs to be done, but by waiting to try and accumulate, I think that's a mistake. Okay. And I don't think you'd do it the other way that way, at least looking from your history. I'd capture the lump and get it working. Okay, great. Yeah, and write down your questions, and as Doug said, you know, work with a financial planner. If you'd like any information that we can provide for you, you can call me at the office. Um, and that number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. Right. And thank you for calling, Dave. Thank you. Bye-bye. And good luck. Holly Nicholson had a uh, an article here about long-term care insurance. And uh, some folks wanted to know whether or not they should purchase long-term care yeah, the article, it, the art, I like the headline. The headline said, deciding whether to buy long-term care insurance is not easy. And uh, and that's true. That's true. There is a difficult decision for a lot of reasons. Medical insurance and Medicare will pay for some long-term care needs, but they provide very, very little coverage. And the benefits are limited only to rehabilitation and recovery at qualified skilled nursing facilities. Uh, and then only after you have stayed in a hospital for three days. Well, That's we know Medicare this firsthand, don't we, Doug? Well, we do. But we on do. the other hand, Medicare does not cover what's called custodial care. And those are your ADLs. Those are your activities of daily living, like bathing and dressing and eating and getting around and going to the bathroom. So Medicare doesn't cover it. And that's exactly what these policies are designed to do. So the question is, should you buy one? Now, a long-term care policy can help, but what it's designed to do is to help safeguard the assets of the elderly. It's a costly thing to have parents in a nursing home. I used, you know, Doug, when I was a speech therapist, I used to work in a nursing home. mm -hmm. So I know firsthand how necessary this is. And when my father had to be in one for a period of time, but the cost is very expensive, isn't it, Doug? It is, and yet you don't have to worry about being thrown out on the street. They don't do that to you. So the question then comes, should I or shouldn't I go ahead and buy this kind of insurance? It's expensive. It's very expensive. And just like any kinds of insurance, you have to assess your odds of needing that coverage. Uh, The one study that was cited uh, said that only uh, one out of three people who turned 65 are going to actually go into a nursing home. But on the other hand, uh, a huge percentage will need care at home. So then you come to the question, well, how do I do it? Uh, Do I buy the insurance or not? Maybe I won't need it. It's extremely expensive. And there are other things that are happening. 
There's the, the question of the insurance companies. They're raising the premiums on a regular basis. They're changing the policies. They're yanking policies. Well, the short answer is you need to meet with a certified financial planner and consider how much income you're going to have and what your expenses are likely to be in retirement. And then you can make the decision, should I do this or not? Hopefully, you don't need to. Hopefully, you can cover your own needs. You can self-insure. That's right. You and I don't have long-term care insurance, do we, Linda? No. Okay. So we need to approach it this way, looking at the living expenses and work backwards from there. Plan the expenses and then decide uh, how to make the decision. And then you need some professional help in doing that. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis and hope you're enjoying your evening. And if you've got questions about your situation or if you're needing some uh, advice on what direction to take with your financial planning, call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh. Our number is 919-872-7000. And everybody have a great week. Well, Linda, I hear the music coming. I think you and I ought to head over to the Angus Barn. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening, and join us again on Money Matters. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 6.05 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.